just for a second, consider this country is running the way it was built to run. Like this country was made by oppressive white men who came here and were willing to kill everything in their way to get money, like for profit and for their own comfortability. And it's all running the way that they had planned it. Missed you, sister. I missed you. <laughs> we were good friends yesterday. We had a lunch and no work. We were so good. because we, <laughs> we were staring at each I other was in too the tired. eyes. Yo, too tired to think about. I've never. So I, uh, I guess I've been jet lagged, but not like Australia jet lag. Yeah, I've just been having whack, weird wackadoo dreams. Yo, I had a dream last night that like. I was looking at Earth from really far away and there was like uh, comets that were just missing Earth. But then at one point, our Earth got hit by a giant asteroid. Cool. I know. And I have a great day, everybody. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Hey, hug your family. Bye. (laughs) Hey, star seeds. Yeah. Make sure to enjoy that dessert because it's all over. Uh, And then there's always these kids that I used to babysit when I was like 14 mm. for a few years. They're always in my dreams. Really? There's yeah, and they're always like we're always having fun, like being cute, and they're always in my dreams. And these kids I have not seen in fifteen years. It's not weird. That's so weird. I, I loved, wonder if I you loved should them. You should probably reach out to them. They're like the kid Colin is probably hot as hell, and he's probably seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember he was like a little boy. I was like, you're gonna be. A I am very hottie. attracted to eight, eighteen year olds. Hundred <laughs> I was like, oh, you're probably. You're like, you don't even know how hot you are. You little stallion. I had a weird dream the other day that this um, guy in like a gang or what I perceived in my dream to be a gang, Mm -hmm. like showed up at my um, backsliding door. And I always kind of have this thought. I'm like, oh, what if anyone ever climbed a tree and jumped onto my little balcony? Anyway, he was there and like enticed me with a puppy and was like, here, open the door. And like, he came in and totally took me hostage for like three days. Really? It was so weird. And then I kind of had a love, not in love with him, but I had a love for him because I could see his pain. Totally. Do you know what I mean? Then what? So then, then I was like, what? I didn't He's want- already in your apartment. I didn't want people- No, we didn't fuck. <laughs> I didn't want people to kill him. I didn't want oh, people yeah, yeah. to come save me and kill him. Yeah. So I was I like, no, that. no, no. Like- so you suffered. Yeah, probably. Uh, hmm. Working through it. <laughs> totally. I love that. Yeah. That's a cool one though. And then, yeah. And then I, I've had like a lot of weird celebrities in my dreams. I do too. And I'm like cool with them. Mm. Like it makes me proud. You know who's actually always in my dream? Chloe Kardashian. Oh, really? She's my homie in all of my dreams. That's so funny. We're straight up homies. Like we're like friends. Like I'm always like the Malika. Mm. And it's very fun. You're so Malika. I'm so Malika. Actually, I don't even know Malika, Malika, but it is like cool. I'm like, oh, you guys are rank people. Huh. That's so cool. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Because I love her. 
I loved her. Yeah, I, love I love her. her. I Dude, respect True her. is the cutest thing I've ever seen. True, yeah, I haven't even seen her. She. Cute. Oh my god, you could just eat her little thighs for dinner. Oh, there's. She's so cute. Oh, I mean. Chloe filters the fuck out of her baby anytime know, she shoots her. I know. A baby filter. I'm like, so is she is she that cute? Yeah, you're like, is she a human? <laughs> like, what is that? She's literally like this little angel. I love poof. So when I was sick last week or the week before, it was like, or two weeks ago, whatever. I did as I do. I watched full Kardashians. Mm, yeah. Cause I needed to chill. I've been on a little tip of crazy. Mm-hmm. And I have been a little deep in some. I'm just breaking every paradigm in my life and it's kind of getting a little, it's getting a little overwhelming at times. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right, I need some like Kardashian. And I was watching the episode where they found out about Tristan. Yeah, I saw that one. Did you see? Mm-hmm. And how Chloe handled it? Chloe's the shit. Kim's always the most immature one, but Cl- yeah, keep going. I'm like, you are a pioneer. Like her being like, I don't want to make decisions on temporary emotions that will impact my daughter for the rest of her life. I know Tristan wants to be here. I want her to have memories of him here. You know, babies can't Mm -hmm. remember that much, but like so good. She was almost like a mother before she was a mother. She was like, she She was was just so calm. Mm -hmm. And like, that is so thoughtful of her, Mm -hmm. you know? whatever. Everyone can do what they want to do. If she could, but it is, it's like, it is his baby too. You know, as much as whatever happened and that was, you know, very shitty if their agreement was to be exclusive with one another and he mm-hmm. wasn't. But I just thought that was great how she handled that. Yes. Because then it also just put her family in line. Cause it isn't about in that moment, it is about the birth. My God. I love the grandma was like, <laughs> Can't you find a different type? I know. She's like, can't you date an accountant? <laughs> I was like, Sweet grandma who is like literally 90 pounds and if doesn't that. have a curve on her body. I'm like, so. Soaking wet. I'm like, so where did everyone get the curves? Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Though That shit ain't genetic if grandma's part of the Of fam. course it's not genetic. Dude, imagine grandma Kim with that ass. <laughs> Yo, what the hell? I want her to dress up as them for Halloween. <laughs> Who? The oh, grandma. grandma. Just <laughs> the having grandma. a huge Dude. Sometimes I wonder the camera angles. I think that they purposely don't have the ass in the camera angles because mm. it's almost unbelievable. It's, yeah, I think, yeah. It's it's honestly, sometimes when I see them- Each like, one is unbelievable for different reasons. Yeah, unbelievable. I'm like, wow, that's unbelievable. Because Chloe's is more, I, I don't mm-hmm. actually want to talk about this. <laughs> I do too, actually. Sorry. I'm over it. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for stopping us. Anyways. Love all asses. <clears throat> oh, so we were away. So we've been away from each other for like- yeah. 10 days. 10 days. I realized I'm not really a good texture when I'm, I'm away. I'm actually not that good of a texture anymore. I used to be a good texture. I'm not a good texture anymore. I think that's kind of nice. I'm kind of feeling it's, guilty about it, but I'm really going to own it because- With I who? Already more s- personal or work? Just anyone. Like oh. I don't even, like I didn't check in, see how you are. I don't check in to see how anyone is. I don't really reply to people anymore. And it's Mm -hmm. no offense. I just like, I don't want to be on my phone. But I also think you have to kind of create a boundary too. Like if you are so available all the time and texting back, then people strangely feel weird if you don't. Yeah. So it's almost like you have to teach people Yeah. (laughs) in a weird way. But I feel, I mean, I feel you, but I didn't feel that way. I know. I know you don't care. And you're also on the other side of the world. Yeah. I know I want to talk about it. I went on, I went on a solo little vacation just a couple of days just to get away after Thanksgiving because I worked. Mm. 
I I always get like kind of anxiety. Like I'm excited and then I get anxiety because you just never know like who's going to be there, how crowded it's going to be, like what there is to do. Is it going to be weird that I'm there by myself? I quickly get over it, but there's always like that time in my hotel room where I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah. I'm doing like weird things. I'm You're like, like, babe, are you ready? I'm like painting my eyebrows five times over. I'm like, yeah. mm-hmm. is this yeah. too bushy? You need a for- moment to settle in being alone. Yeah. You need a moment, dude. It's very interesting. I took so many baths. You, it, you have to get, it's a fear. You have to really get over it. You have mm-hmm. to be like, like I do at my house, dude. Sometimes I'll be like, yeah, turn off the fucking phone. Mm-hmm. Turn off the podcast. Turn off the shit and like yeah. be quiet. And I get a totally. little, Ugh. I and I have this weird thing where I felt guilty that I was getting ready to go to dinner or like this weird feeling of yeah. like, are people going to think that's weird that, cause I not get ready, get ready, but I was in like mm-hmm. nice clothes and I did my makeup and mm-hmm. I straightened my hair. Like, love it. And, but it, it felt weird. I was like, what are people going to think that I'm a hooker at the bar? To be completely honest, yeah, that's usually been there. the thought. <laughs> been a hooker many times. <laughs> but anyway, so I was, it was very, like a very small place. It's called Hotel Joaquin in Laguna and um, not sponsored. It was kind of like a, almost like a home. Mm-hmm. So the the staff was almost like a family to one another. So it was really, really nice. And I went to the bar to have dinner and I had seen this guy kind of like in a suit walking around like earlier in the day. And then I saw him at the bar and I was like, oh, maybe he works there, like whatever. And just one of those guys that like wears a suit and is kind of like a character, like we're, probably wears a suit 95% of the time, right? Yes. And I was like, obviously judging. I'm like, oh, this guy's probably a trip and a half. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, it, with that kind of guy, it's like, it's only a matter of time before you talk to me. Only a matter Only of a matter time. Of time. And he actually wasn't. And you know, and I was, I had like introduced myself to like the bartender and the manager and whatever. And we were just kind of talking. And then he was just like standing there and he wasn't being weird or creepy. He was just like having a glass of wine, just like on his own. So I like felt his energy. By the way, I'm not attracted to him mm-hmm. at all, whatever. And that, so I was just like, hey, I'm Lindsay. And it felt so weird coming out. I was like, Oh, you're such a Well, to say that, hey, I'm Krista. I was like, hey, I'm Lindsay. What's your name? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, hey, I'm Chris. I was like, oh, hi, Chris. I was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> he's like, I'm here on he's a- like, I'm a magician. He's like, I come down. He's like, they've only been open like two months. He's like, but honestly, I've been here like seven times. He's like, I really love it. I come down just by myself and I spend a couple of days. I was like, oh, where do you live? He lives in Venice or whatever. And Chris. he is just, he's one of these weird- and I'll call myself weird too, but like these weird unicorns that just like do this stuff. By he's he's such a loner, and he's so I found out that he like moved from like city to he's never lived anywhere for more than like maybe four years, and so he's moved around a lot and and subsequently doesn't have a lot of like really solid friends. He has friends kind of in different cities. Yeah. His family is kind of like displaced all over the place. They don't get together very often. And he was just kind of an anomaly. Cause like, I didn't, I didn't feel this energy of like, oh, he wants something from me or wants to hook up or anything like that. It was as if like, we kind of were there for the same reasons. And like, I don't know, it was yeah. really nice. So like, we just ordered dinner at the bar. Like we weren't, ha- we were having dinner together technically, yeah, but it was just really, really nice. And he's he's kind of this, like, he's only like 32 or 33, but the suit vibe is like this old soul, like Sinatra-y. Mm, yeah. And so it be, 
from, it went from being like kind of weird and creepy, like the suit thing to being kind of endearing. Cause mm. there's like record, there's like this record player you can play in the little living room mm. of the hotel. So he was like playing records and he was just like enjoying himself by himself. And I was just like kind of watching it. Mm. He wasn't doing it for attention. It was like, I can't really describe it, but anyway, so then, so he had to leave like early the next morning or something. I didn't even like get to say bye to him, but I had to teach on Sunday morning. So I spent the whole next day by myself, did yoga in the morning, went to the beach and laid by the pool and did work or did some writing. So I had to get up really early the next morning to go back and teach in Santa Monica. And I like walk into my 8am or whatever. And um, I hear like, Hey Lindsay. And I was like, I had to like remember where I was. And it was Chris. <laughs> the same one. Mm-hmm. He goes, he's like, well, you told me you taught. He's like, I haven't been spinning in a while. Like I wanted to come and try. Literally was like front row sidebar in my class. And again, the energy was not, oh fuck, this is weird. Right. It was just like, it's almost like, like he found a friend. Like it was just like, and it was really sweet. Mm -hmm. And I just, anyway, he's not listening, but shout out Chris. I just, it was, it was an interesting energy exchange. And I like saw him, I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, like, you really enjoy time by yourself, but like there's this part of you too that like is so um, personable and mm. like deserves to have like consistent friendships. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll be that one <laughs> to be honest yeah, with you. <laughs> I'm moving around you a lot. You deserve to have consistent friendships that are not me. Yeah, no, I mean, he's I'm really just, sweet. Like, people like that, I just, I'm jealous of. I'm jealous of the simpleness. Life is truly that simple sometimes, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah find joy, go for it. You know, we don't need all of the things. He's like, I, I, I go to see the Nutcracker every year. He's like, I'm going to see that tomorrow. I'm like, every year. He's like, I just love, he's like, I love, literally doesn't change. He's like, I go to see a new one every year. Sometimes I'll, I'll go to like Chicago or something. Yeah. And like, just it's like those little things. Just like, to be like, yo, I love the Nutcracker. I'm going to watch it. You know what I mean? Like, I'd be like, oh yeah, I like the Nutcracker, but you know. I think he loves the music and maybe it's like a memory. I don't know. Consistency stuff like is like to me, I don't. Yeah. Cause I'm never that mine, consistent. No, mine, yeah. What? Mine's like knowing what you, like, I guess I know what I like, but like just being so definitive about liking something mm. that no one can like get you off of that. Totally. Like wearing a suit. Wearing a suit. <laughs> you know what I mean? And Nutcracker's like, what? I don't know. It's a it, classic. It's a classic. <laughs> you know, like, I don't even, I don't know. I feel like I don't know what I like right now. I don't like anything. I also think it's a comfort for people to like, mm. like certain oh, that's things. true. You know, like. Well, I guess if everything in your life changes, it'd be nice to see the Nutcracker every year. Exactly. He's always moving around. He's always like traveling for work. Da, 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 da. Mm. Anyway. What was his job? He's in some sort of like medical sales type (laughs) thing. Mm -hmm. He's He's like, I'm in shipping. Yeah, literally. I'm in shipping. Like, okay. Got it. Got it. Uh How was your trip? Got him. Uh, My trip was good. So guys, I was in uh, Melbourne and Cairns Mm -hmm. in Australia, uh, which was awesome. It was 10 days with my family, um, my dad and my sister, who was older than me. 
who I'm very close with, and then my significant other partner, Justin. Um, so it was us four. We were mm. a little, we were a little crew. And it was really nice to have Justin and kind of like cut the, you know, if ever there's anything a little weird or whatever with family, it's nice to have like an outsider. Yeah. Buffer. And, yeah, a buffer. And he's just helpful to kind of like keep everything chill. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was good. You know, my dad is like just, I don't know if I've changed a lot. I think that's actually what it is. This is I've changed a lot in the past years. And now I just kind of like see him differently, you know, for better, for worse. So I just kind of like, I don't know. I just, I just see him very differently, which is, you know, an interesting thing to like mm-hmm. kind of grow up believing that. And he is still amazing and sweet and awesome and, you know, thoughtful. And I'm very lucky um, to have him, but there's just very, you know, just very different parts of him and like the way that, you know, he's conservative and he has certain views and aspects about the way he sees things, which is a little challenging now Mm. and a little, you know, it's a little bit of a struggle for me to be around. And so, yeah, that was a little hard. And we actually, you know, on the, the interview today with Rachel inspired me to have a conversation with him and my sister. Um, and even with Justin there about, you know, our privilege, Mm -hmm. our white privilege. Um, and to talk about that was, like pretty challenging, but you know, to be honest, I was like, and it started with a conversation about when people talk about how there's, it's not fair when certain minorities get, they are more able to get into colleges and universities, Mm -hmm. you know, for being a minority. Yeah. And so it started there, which was like an easy segue for me to kind of like talk about the why and just how we are so lucky to be even be in a situation where we like, whatever. So that was just, it was just interesting. It was challenging. I just kept praying. I was like praying so hard. I was like, please God, just like give me the patience and give me the clear communication and help me communicate this point and this perspective as openly and as lovingly and as clearly so that they can understand and they can see, and this can provide at least a little bit of light into like what is actually going on Mm -hmm. and the fact that we are privileged and they are privileged and that their perspective comes from a place of privilege and that in the United States, most people, you know, have like, as an example, it's like with the situation with universities and schools, like we, like white people have gotten so far because of the way everything happened with slavery and in our history that it is only right. And it is the smallest bit that we could do. We could do so much more is to give people an opportunity that didn't grow up in a double parent home, you know, Mm -hmm. didn't have the same socioeconomic status as most white people, or didn't have a lot of the people in their community incarcerated, you know, all of these things. So it's like the least that we could do. So it's just, it was, it was difficult, but I was thankful that the opportunity presented itself and that I can, you know, continue to try and be better and continue to try and learn myself and kind of listen to them and listen to their perspective and then provide yeah. my thoughts too. What did they say? Anything that stuck out? Um, yeah, it was all, it was all ignorant shit. So, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Nothing was really. It's hard. It's like, because in that, in they're that not case, super ignorant. Like they're not ignorant no, know, assholes. It's just like, like what is, I guess it becomes an argument rather than a conversation. Yeah. So it's like, it's just, yeah, this challenge, I can't even remember. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it was like over pizza. I literally ate an entire pizza and was like talking about white privilege. <laughs> You're like, how do I? Literally, get I was like, this. literally like ate an entire za. It was delicious. I don't give a fuck. Good. How was the food in Australia, by the way? In it's Melbourne, good. it was good. They ate vegan food. Mm. Cairns, it was okay. Cairns is more like a beach town. Mm-hmm. We were in Palm Cove, which was fucking beautiful. Like being in nature was everything. 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 I just love breathing fresh air. And like- I was thinking about that the other day, like walking out yep. here. I was like, is this fresh? Yep. <laughs> the entire time I was in Australia, I kept thinking my cells are breathing in complete full clean oxygen and they're regenerating themselves and they're exhaling out like all of the bad oxygen mm-hmm. that I have from being in LA. It's just so nice. That's amazing. It was great. You, so you got to go to the Great Barrier Reef mm-hmm. and like the rainforest. Yeah, up. we were in the oldest rainforest in the world, Daintree Rainforest. There is like, it's like 50 million years old. Like huh. it's like, you know, when they- So say, dinosaurs were there. Yeah. There's, wow. there's a bird there that basically was alive during the dino period that we saw actually. Oh my God. It's very cool. And it's almost like the country was like, Australia was part of the country and this rainforest was part of Pangea basically mm. when it, before it broke off. So when um, the big bang happened and you know, most like 99% of the species were wiped out, Australia and this part of Australia was not hit. So a lot of the species in this rainforest were alive before like the big bang or whatever happened to that wiped every species out. Isn't that crazy? So they're like alive today? Yeah. Like there's a fern there that's like 25 million years old. Like there are things there that are so old. It's crazy. Yeah. And there's so many birds. I wonder if they have special powers, just like crystals have special power. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're actually, they have really good crystals there. I forget which ones. Mm. Orb or 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 something. I don't know. It's incredible. Yeah. It was so cool. I can't wait to go. Yeah. It was so cool. What's our, what's up? Any announcements before we yeah. intro? So yourpodcastpro.com is live. If um, you guys want to start a podcast, we got you. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hella fun, super informative, and it will expand your community around this pod, uh, this process as well, which is what we found to be super important um, as you step out there and really put yourself out there. So to have us, to have other people supporting you and cheering you on as well. But our six-week course starts January 6th. We got you covered from you know our downloadables, which you can buy separately as well. Creative downloadables, um, logistical downloadables. We will take you from idea to iTunes in six weeks. And we will be speaking to you every week on a Zoom call, um, answering all of your questions, talking about specific topics. It's going to be thorough and totally worth your while. Yeah, it'll be awesome. And also too, so if you have a podcast, whatever stage it's in um, and you want to market you know, to sponsors, you want to pitch them, you want to get on brand deals. We have pitch templates for you. We have media kit templates. We have Instagram story templates. We have everything you need, basically everything that Lindsay and I use for almost 30 podcasts, you could use and apply to your podcast. So your podcast pro is the only resource uh, site that I know out there for people and podcasters that want to make it a business that they love. Yes. Also, 
we kind of put the word out there in our secret Facebook group. One, if you haven't joined the secret Facebook group, do that. Yeah. But we are doing a college tour in 2019. So if you or someone you know is in college or has connections to the appropriate departments at a college or sororities or whatever, um, we want to talk to them, reach out to us events at almost30podcast.com. We are doing a few different legs of our tour. So we'll be visiting cities that we haven't been to yet, including Philadelphia, Washington, DC, mm-hmm. Atlanta, Miami, like a big, big list. And then um, the college tour and international. And we'll be doing live shows as well in big cities um, across the US. So stay tuned for that. But again, just reach out to us events at almost30podcast.com if you have connections there. Yes. All right. Secret Facebook group, your podcast pro. And that's it. And this mm-hmm. is an exciting month of great things on Instagram, giveaways, all that stuff. So check almost 30 podcasts oh, on Instagram. I, one more, I forgot. Yeah. Um, so if you would like to be a part of a special video project that we're doing for the end of the year, we would love to include you, whether it's your voice or you send us a little video that you take on your phone. You can reach us on our hotline. I'm pulling up that number because I don't have it memorized, but we are going to kind of be reflecting on the year. So anything, you know, if you love the podcast, why you love it, how you found it, maybe you found it at a certain time in your life. Uh, Maybe a particular episode really resonated with you or changed your life. We want to know about it. We just love hearing from you guys and we'll incorporate it into the video and the hotline number, just so you have it is 1424-272-1853. Okay. Okay. That's it. Um today on the podcast, Rachel Cargill. Come on, everybody. Come on. She is she's so warm and truth. cool. And you know, the work that she's doing is in fucking incredible. And I'm so excited to see her just take on the world. Mm-hmm. You know, there is no limit to where she can go. She has built her, I don't want to say brand, but she's just built this foundation or empire underneath her on something that is changing so many people by being her complete self, her educated Mm. self, her warm self, her smart self. Um, And it's been amazing, you know, to see like the world just embrace her and the world really look to her as a um, thought leader. Yeah. And I think like on her social media, it's just so important. She puts so much time and effort and love into creating a space where people can have meaningful conversations um, and connect with people all over the world to talk about important topics, whether it's concerning race, womanhood, whatever it is, she is there for it. And um, I just, I'm excited to share this conversation with you. She um, also holds workshops that have been it's kind of been like a little wave. People have been talking a lot about it. Mm. It's a unique type of workshop that will really shift your perspective and ignite something in you that, you know, will incite change. Yeah. Um, she um, is on Instagram. So we will talk about her on Instagram, rachel.cargle. So it's R-A-C-H-E-L dot C-A-R-G-L-E. I highly recommend you mm-hmm. follow her. Um, so in addition to being an activist, a writer, and a lecturer, uh, she is an entrepreneur. So she has an organization called The Loveland Group, which houses a family of companies that are dedicated to lifelong culture, opportunity, and learning, which is amazing. And I found, so, you know, after we've had Rachel on and since we've had Thais Sky on, which I highly recommend you also listen to the episode with Thais Sky. 
You can search iTunes, Thais Sky, Spotify, Thais Sky. She has her own podcast, which we love, uh, but she's been on our podcast before and we talked about specifically what is white privilege. Mm. So highly recommend checking out those episodes to um, familiarize yourself and just kind of dip your toes into this world. Um, I found this really, really great article from National Seed Project. The article is called White Privilege, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack. Um, I'll share this in the secret Facebook group and then as well, this will be in the show notes. But I think it does a really good job of explaining white privilege um, in a way that's really easy to understand and digest. And there was one part of it that I wanted to, to share just before the conversation so that we're all on the same page of understanding a little bit about white privileges before we go into it a little bit deeper with Rachel. There was one part of it that I wanted to read. So it says, I think whites are carefully taught not to recognize white privilege as males are taught not to recognize male privilege. So I've begun in an untutored way to ask what it is like to have white privilege. I came to see white privilege as an invisible package of unearned assets that I can count on cashing in each day, but about which I was meant to remain oblivious. White privilege is like an invisible weightless knapsack of special provisions, maps, passports, code books, visas, clothes, tools, and blank checks. Describing white privilege makes one newly accountable. As we in women's studies work have to reveal white have to reveal male privilege and ask men to give up some of their power, no one who writes about white privilege must ask, having described it, what will I do to lessen or end it? As I realize the extent to which men work from a base of unacknowledged privilege, I understand that much of their oppressiveness was unconscious. Then I remember the frequent charges of women of color that white women whom they encounter were oppressive. I began to understand why we justify seen as oppressive, which when we don't see ourselves that way. I began to count the ways in which I enjoyed unearned skin privilege and have been conditioned into oblivion about its existence." My schooling gave me no training in seeing myself as an oppressor and as an unfairly advantaged person or as a participant in damaged culture. I was taught to see myself as an individual whose moral state depended on her individual moral will. My schooling followed the pattern my colleague had pointed out. Whites were taught to think that their lives as morally neutral, normative, and average, and also ideal. And so that when we work to benefit others, this is seen as work which will allow them to be more like us. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Love it. So um, that is called- it in. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that is called White Privilege, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack. Um, and that is on the nationalseedproject.org. And you can find that on almost30podcast.com in the show notes or in the secret Facebook group. We'll po- post that whole article by Peggy McIntosh. Mm. And that's just a really good one. And I really like the comparison to, um, you know, the feminine feminist yeah. movement with male privilege. And then also to the fact of that, it's like all of these things that we have um, that we don't even realize. And that it's almost like we're, yeah. This invisible map, this passport, the codes. Yeah. Unlocking it, unlocking things every day that to us have just become expected. Mm -hmm. And it makes you think too about education and just, you know, I've been so lucky. And the fact that like the educational institutions that I've been a part of or a student of, are a part of the problem? 100%. So even though, even though, you know, they're accepting marginalized people based on that fact, there is no further recognition within the education 
at that institution or, you know, there are always like little groups and whatever, yes. but on a grander scale, there's not a, a, a big conversation. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see in X amount of years when we have kids at that age, like what the conversation and will be, hopefully it will be, you know, between us and our kids that, I don't know. I, also I think to Rachel's school. Literally. You're going to Rachel University. Honestly, are you? <laughs> are you? I Rach, got, can you start a U? Yeah. Well, we're going to do summer school, but you're yeah. also going to do Rachel. Yeah. Not do Rachel, but maybe someone will do it. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, we support. Um, so thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us. Thank you guys for being a part of this conversation, mm-hmm. uh, learning with Lindsay and I, being uh, forgiving of our process, being open to us as we learn and grow. And as we kind of work through this together, we want to be the people that ask the questions that are unafraid um, to make mistakes and to learn. And I am definitely doing that as a human um, along this way in this process. So, you know, we are never perfect. We never try to be, but we try to be the best for you all. So I really, really appreciate all of your support. Yeah, and around these topics, it's gonna be uncomfortable. I think we you kind of have to know that it will be. It's not gonna be something that will be enjoyable, at least in the beginning, because these types of conversations haven't really been had. Yeah. And so it'll feel a little foreign and let's dive in. All right, y'all. Here we go. Love you guys. Isn't that funny about your voice? Like, did you grow up thinking your voice was so... I thought my... Well, I think we all think our voice is so annoying. Yeah. But I remember, you know, when you first start talking to guys, like guys have always told me that they liked my voice. Really? Yeah. Mm, I've always... I've always... (laughs) I I have always been told that I had a nice voice. Yeah. You could do voiceover. Mm-hmm. I would love to do voiceover. Dude, you were so Yeah, I would. I should yeah. tell her. You're, you're right. I have an agent. They, yesterday we were at this meeting and they were like, um, "Yeah, we we do with like agents." They were like, "Yeah, we do like you know voiceover and stuff." And that was like the only thing I was like, I want to do. <laughs> There's no way my voice would be fitting for anything, but I was just like, "That's what I want to do." <laughs> it would be so much well, fun. So much fun. <laughs> it is yeah, really fun because thing. you could just go to the. I used to do it a lot in New York, and you just go to the studio. You don't have to like dress up, do mm-hmm. anything. You show up and you have fun with a. Script. What would you mm-hmm. what would you record? Um so it'd be for like commercials or digital. Oh. But I would never do any characters, which I always wanted to do, but um you you just play with the script for like an hour and you do it a hundred different ways. Wow. And they just it's very fun. It's not like this high pressure situation. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Unless you totally blow and then it's wasting their money. But it's I'm really inspired fun. and I'm going to look into this because that would be so and much we'll fun. And we'll get a cut. Yeah. yeah. 15%. Like, we'll be a manager. 15%. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's the thing. Like, and you realize too, when you're like in doing what we do now is you're like, oh, like everyone gets a cut. Yeah. So you, and then taxes get a cut. So you're like- You have to be super aware of- like how much money is coming in. And then you get so excited. Like, oh, I have all this, but actually I don't. Because- <laughs> totally. <laughs> Dude, that's what our, yeah. our yeah. tax guy was like, okay, it's time to play Q3 taxes. <laughs> I know, and we, we like- haven't paid taxes yet for the year. And we were like, huh? Right. I know. I, <laughs> me too. Because all of our work is freelance. All like my writing. That's crazy. Like, what do you do? Everything. So all don't of like, tell me your finance <laughs> voice. <laughs> well, you know, all of my touring, all of my talking, yeah. it's like Eventbrite tickets. Mm. So that hasn't been taxed. Um, writing for wow. like Harper's Bazaar mm-hmm. and other publications. I, that hasn't, that's not, I'm just a freelancer for them. Um, things like Patreon. Oh yeah. You know, they don't take anything out. So like, I literally just have, I, I'm Do scared you pay to quarterly. S- 
Just to like offset or no? No. Well, all of this started happening oh, yeah, so yeah, recently yeah, yeah. for me. Oh my God. I was a nanny until June. Do- <laughs> so we're learning together I'm about sorry, finances yeah, and, and race. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's so much. And so I'm like, okay, let me, before my taxes was like, oh, let me ask the parents that I was nannying. Do it to me. It was super easy. Now I have all of these streams of income, which I'm like so grateful for. Mm-hmm. And um, just figuring out money is so intense, but that I'm so grateful so that like first world problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, you're how right. to figure out our taxes. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it is very new. I'm just trying to figure out how to cheat the system. <laughs> I know. I don't know. <laughs> because I, I don't know how to uh-huh. cheat the system. And it's like, Hey IRS, I'm here to balance out the situation. <laughs> yeah. and make sure she doesn't actually cheat Joke it. for a comedy podcast. <laughs> this is now a comedy podcast. Yeah, like, uh-huh, just kidding. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, but yeah, just, it's like they take like 50%. 50. And I we, know. I've it's, always worked a corporate job. So they always yeah, just Yeah, they take it, it out. This, I'm like, welcome to my world. You can't get too excited. One year I owed so much money because I didn't, I was like, huh? Uh, 100%. I know. I just like spent every, well, because I was living in New York. I was like fit modeling for a designer, like the non glamorous side of modeling. And I just, I made money and I just spent it all on rent, bills, social, yeah. uh-huh. you know, and it was gone. And they're like, oh, you owe $15,000. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> What well, do you I mean? don't have fifteen thousand. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I, like, I, I never owe fifteen thousand dollars. I know, and I'm. I have like I. I have just have money sitting because I'm like I'm scared to spend it. You. I know something's totally. gonna happen, dude. I have money sitting, but I'm like I'm rich as balls. I, well, I feel like <laughs> I'm. Yeah, I, I feel like, like I I'm am. so rich right now. <laughs> but as soon as tax season comes it's around, it's gonna be gone. Now yeah. I'm like, and the money that I am spending, I'm going to the dentist. Like, how many thousand dollars worth of dental work do I need right now? True. How are like <laughs> going? Well, I have. Well, because I grew up very poor, and so mm-hmm. I didn't have a ton of dental mm-hmm. access. And so now that I'm a adult, and now that I have money, I'm going to. I'm literally in the dentist so often. Like things like the dentist, or things like I'm so excited to go to the dermatologist now, mm-hmm. and I'm so excited to do all of these things totally. that I just didn't have access to before. Taking care, yeah. yeah. And now that's where all of my money is going to <laughs> yeah, now. Dude, like it's so expensive. doing all. It, it, it's so expensive and this is so funny when I went to the dentist a few weeks ago to really like start looking at what I needed mm-hmm. and it wasn't a ton. It was just like a few fillings and mm-hmm. like crowns or something like that. And they were cleaning my teeth and I started crying in Aww. the dental chair and it wasn't because like, of pain or I know. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, does she need more numbing stuff? And I'm crying. So then they finally stop and I'm like, I'm just so grateful Aww. that I could get all of this done now. And I was just thinking about how, shitty it is that mm. people don't have access to something as simple as yeah. getting their teeth cleaned at, as a necessity to totally. like feel confident or feel healthy or even feel comfortable mm. yeah feel comfortable that shit can fucking hurt i know and it, it could it's, affect every other yes. thing in your body your think heart about health all like. of your health and also think about like if there's something wrong with your teeth going to a job interview uh. going out on a date being around your friends just smiling for pictures there's so many things that something mm. as simple as dental care mm-hmm. could take care of and so I would literally the the dental assistant is just standing there while I'm bawling my eyes out and uh. going and like giving her a lecture on like socioeconomic issues in America oh. I'm how frustrated I was she's one like, conversation I, at yeah, a time literally truly. she's like bubble gum or mint I know. <laughs> she's like that's all I had <laughs> you don't understand how lucky I know. <laughs> it's, it's exactly true. what happened but it's interesting too like as far as um or just from what I know like 
the emphasis on straight, perfect teeth in America mm-hmm. so much more. You're right. Do you know what I mean? Than You're anywhere right. else. So it's like here in America, like people probably feel a little bit more of the pressure to have the perfect teeth when they're doing job interviews and stuff. But like when you're it, other places and in Europe, it's not as much. Nobody cares. It's more of like the health, but yeah, not as much like the perfect white the cosmetic. Teeth. Yes, exactly. Love it. Exactly. Where did you grow up? In Ohio. Where? Akron. Honey, Cincinnati. Oh, yay. I didn't know. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. Yeah, I grew up in Akron. Well, I grew up in, well, I grew up in Green, Ohio, which is like a suburb yeah. of Akron. Mm-hmm. And when I called my mom this morning, I'm like, mom, me and LeBron are in LA. We came from Akron. We're in LA now. What together. Finally <laughs> together. again. Literally, I've been waiting. Uh-huh. I'm actually a huge LeBron fan. Did they win last night? I don't know, honey. Like, do I, I think look they like did. The person to ask. I know. Do we? I know. Seriously, <laughs> look it up. It's exciting. LA is like fucking jazz. Super jazz. <laughs> jazz. <laughs> La- I just Bron. love that Clevelanders were like cool about it this time. I mean, I was so confused. First of all, I'm not a sports person. I'm a LeBron Same. person, but not a sports person. And when he first left, all I kept thinking about they was, won. oh, cool. good. They beat the Nuggets. Thank God. They beat the Nuggets. LA forever. (laughs) (laughs) So when he first left and everyone was like so upset, I'm like, okay, guys, relax. Let's just think about if he was a normal ass businessman who said, I'm going to go to a place that's a better fit for me and I'm going to take my family to give us like, no one. Like, why are we not celebrating him and the fact that he's making career choices for him? Totally. Well, it's also too, like, it wasn't his, he probably didn't sit down and like, hey guys, like, let's make this a big deal. And like a four hour long special, you know what I mean? With yeah. me, videos of me in each city <laughs> to like tease the cities. You know what I mean? Like none of it was like his doing. It blows my mind how intense sports people are. Totally. I know. And that's in Ohio. Do you feel like that? I always feel like that in yeah. Ohio. In the Midwest. The, Midwest. In the Midwest and like the South. One of the serious. few things yeah, that South you really too. have to yeah, like, to you care. know what I mean? Yeah, to really dig yes. into. And that's Call not it. a dig. That's just, that's the same with the East coast. Seems too. Like facts are facts. Yeah. yeah. You Ours know. is very like basketball, football, football, football. Yeah. Football. Like, like whole cities exist around the yeah. football team. Yeah. Are you Browns fan then? No, I'm not an anything oh, yeah, fan. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I, she's I, like, what I go they? for like the hot. <laughs> yeah, she's like, why am I here talking about sports? <laughs> like I go for the hot dogs and beer, but that's about totally. it. I just go to chill outside a lot too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like to just hang outside. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? I like that I don't have to like be a part of the conversation. Yes. Totally. So like you're with like guy friends or whoever and they're like, yeah, and you're just like, and I'm just like, yeah, this is And you is could just cool. be totally. Yeah, I have my hot dog and I'm happy. Yeah. Can you yeah. be I like, uh, actually haven't had a hot dog in forever now that I I like the popcorn popcorn. Yes. Paddle corn. The big pretzels. My mm. body like takes four years to digest mm. it. It's like still digesting <laughs> the last USC game. It's whatever. Four-year-old kernels coming out. Literally never digest. So can you paint the picture? Uh, like you said, yeah, you know, growing Akron. up. Green. You growing up like green. For example, Do you know green? No. Oh, I it's right to- by Canton. It's right in the middle of Akron and Canton. Okay. Mm. Okay. Anyways. Just, is it like suburby? Like what was your yeah, town very, like? Yeah, it's it, it's very suburby. Mostly and, white? Um, yeah. It, I grew up in, I was like, the only black person in my class for a very long time. Mm. Um, And it was very interesting. And I'm so introspective about it now as an adult, because I lived in like section eight housing, which is like the welfare assisted housing. Um, But it was within like a very rich suburb. So my mom like found Mm. this space that she could afford within the most opportunity based area, I think closest to, you know, where she grew up. And so I got this very interesting experience of like, I knew we didn't have what everyone else had, but I also recognized that I was easily on the same level as everyone else because I was taking the same classes and we were doing the same things. And so I was always very just aware that 
there was just something that made us different. But also I was very frustrated about the fact that everyone else had like these big houses and all these Mm. cars and they went on vacations all the time. But I'm like, well, my mom's just like your mom and I'm just like you. And I don't understand what the difference is. And so I think I've, I've just been always very aware and introspective of like socioeconomic things, um, race issues, and just looking around and considering what is it that makes us different and what is it that makes us the same and why is this a thing anyways? Mm. Did you have an ability to explore that when you were young? Like with your mom, did you talk about stuff or like, if you're the only, I just am thinking like, if you're the only black person in your community, like how do you kind of explore that and like compare and contrast, I guess, with well, like the people there. When we went to visit the city, I would yeah. see like my family and there's tons of black people there and our church was very black. Yeah. And um, so it wasn't like I wasn't around black people, but you know, your, my day-to-day life wasn't. And so I would start asking questions. I have a very distinct memory. I have a cousin who was born, we were born a week apart and we would always have our birthday parties together. And we got to a, the age where we just didn't want to do that anymore. And I remember I came to her sleepover and I was walking up the stairs and I heard her say, oh, this is my cousin, Rachel. She talks white. Don't mind her. And she, lived in the city and she had like all black friends. And so I remember Mm. just being very, um, okay, there's something different about me from them. And there's something different about me from them. And I need to figure out who I am and where I fit and what this means for me. And there was just um, a lot of grappling within myself around kind of what my identity was both as a black person, because it wasn't like I was ashamed of being black, but I recognized that within the black community, like as I experienced that, that very young age, hearing mm. my cousin say that, that there was something that they saw different about me. And then being with my white friends, who I absolutely adored being with them. And we had so much fun, but there was also something very obviously different um, about me with them as well. So just a lot of questioning and it was never really necessarily, I don't know, was it sad? It wasn't necessarily sadness, sure. but it was just like deep thinking. Totally. Yeah. And I it doesn't feel, and it, it, did it ever feel like bullying? Cause it more feels just like, like the ignorance or how they grew up and kind of like them, like, I feel like kids just like have no filter yeah, and they I just kids, say. Yeah. I think it's kids being kids. Cause I think if, so let's take Which the example is of, not an excuse, but right. You know so what I mean. let's just take the example of my cousin who said that. So she wasn't saying, I don't think she was saying it in like a bad way, just right. like prepare. I know it's going to be confusing when you hear my black cousin talk, she's going to sound very white, but like, don't, I don't think she was necessarily being mean, but it did make me feel some type of way. Like, okay, do I need to change the way that I talk? Mm. I thought this is how people talked, Mm. (laughs) you know, questioning things. And then, you know, just being with my white friends, I have memories of when I would be, we would the summertime and we would be laying outside and they would be tanning. And they would say like, oh, okay, Rachel, well, we're going to get dark. Does that mean you're going to get lighter when you lay out in the sun? Just like kids asking questions, trying to figure Mm -hmm. out what it means and what the differences are. Um, And then dating came into play and that was a whole thing because none of the white boys at my school even thought about me or considered me. And then um, I got so much attention from the black guys because they thought I was so Mm -hmm. different. And I was like, am I? Mm -hmm. And they thought like, oh, well, you talk different and, you know, all these things. And so- you're not talking black. Yeah, because I'm not talking quote unquote (laughs) black. And I'm not talking, you know, and also, you know, I would like, my mom would take me to like the ballet and all these things that- my inner city friends mm. or family didn't necessarily do just because they weren't interested or they didn't, they hadn't had that introduction yet. 
And so, yeah, it was just a lot of identifying the things that made me feel confident and the things that made me feel grounded. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of swaying between both of those worlds. Mm, which is so helpful for you now. Oh, now those are my best qualities. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like before. Perfect. Yeah. Isn't yeah. it funny? Now you're like, oh, okay, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right. And so as I'm writing my book and as I'm doing this work specifically, you know, my audience is like 90% white women. And I feel, wow. I'm guessing this sense of comfortability because I grew up around white people all the time that I like kind of could have this space of, okay, I can speak to you. And mm-hmm. I, we have this understanding between ourselves. So it wasn't too much of a disconnect, but also I'm so grateful that I get to deep dive into so much of what constitutes my blackness and me understanding who I am as a black woman. Because as I'm doing this research in order to do my anti-racism work, I'm also doing this research into discovering myself and my understanding of who I am as a black woman. Mm. And so I am super grateful to be in this space. Mm. At what point did you kind of find your voice? You said you were very introspective about it, you know, when you were a kid or in your teens, but was there a moment that you had like a meaningful conversation that you're like, oh, wow, like I can talk about this or start a conversation around this? Um, I don't know. I think a lot of it at first started out looking at socioeconomic stuff. Like I didn't think about it as a race issue. I looked at it as a financial issue. Like they have more money than we do. Why? And what's the difference? And then that goes into race issues because a lot of the marginalization in this country is race-based due to our long history of racial issues. They have explained episode. Have you seen on Netflix, like an explanation of the, why the, there's the socioeconomic difference between races? Yeah. And I mean, I think it's, I, I am interested to see that, but it's like not rocket science to think about the fact that totally people 100%. were enslaved mm. and they were segregated mm. and they didn't have access to wealth and property and education. Of course, there's going to be a disconnect in what white people, they had this opportunity to continue to build wealth. And I say in my lectures and in my workshops, you know, black people have to start over every generation often because like they were enslaved mm. and then they got segregated and then, you know, there were times when black people had, there was things called like black wall street where there was like huge wealth areas in Oklahoma um, where black people had tons of money and they had built their own banks and their own hospitals and blah, blah, blah. And then white people came and burned the whole city down Mm. and people had to start all over again. And so um, I, it it doesn't take a rocket science to recognize that, but unless you're actually looking for those answers, you're not necessarily going to sit there and think about it. So when I was younger, a lot of them were socioeconomic looking at who had what, like me seeing who had a bigger house compared to ours and who could go on vacation. And then as I learned more, I was like, oh, okay, this is a race thing as well. And so I just remember, (laughs) I have a very specific memory of going to, I think it was like my soccer party. Like it was our soccer team and we were having our end of the season party. And I went up to the, like one of the parents were hosting us in their huge house. And I remember going up to the dad and like, can you explain to me what you do to have this? And I was like 10. And he, and I remember him saying like, I work with computers. I was like, oh, okay. Well, how did like, take it back? Like what else? (laughs) I remember him telling like, and he was like, well, I went to college and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, there was all these things I didn't know Mm. about how I just didn't know about wealth. And I didn't know about income. My mother, she, um, she was on disability my whole life. My mom has polio. And, um, so she was always at home and she never, um, was out working. And so I just, there was so much, I just didn't know. And as I kind of explored things more, and then my time I got to high school, 
I remember asking my mom, like, I really want to go to this private high school. What do we have to do? And she applied for me and we got financial aid and they had this thing where you could work, like the students could work with the custodians after school and that money would go, those hours would go towards their tuition. So I did that. So I could go there and I would just look around and see what other people were doing and say like, okay, that's something that looks like it's going to lead mm. lead to something. So I, at a very young age, I was very intentional on understanding things so that I could make better decisions for myself that might not have been opportunities for other people in my family. Right. So in school, what did you study in school? Um, I'm still in school now, yeah. but okay. I studied when I first got out of high school and I went to college, I was studying social work at the University of Toledo. Yeah, yeah. And then I got married my sophomore year. That was a whole story, blah, blah, blah. After I left that marriage, now I, I was in DC and I'm in New York and I'm studying anthropology at Columbia. That's right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So then I guess like this journey, like I'm just trying to like, so you were always inquisitive and you're always, but like, what was like, I guess the jumping off point where it was like, I, you know, almost like the culmination of everything that you've had in your life to get all these skills, to be that voice and to be this person. That's like a bridge between, you know, these, these hard issues. The election. Yeah. Well, after that photo went viral of me and my friend Dana, and I started getting two very different reactions from my white audience and from my black audience. And a lot of white people were saying like, yeah, we love that. Go women, blah, blah, blah. And all of this positivity. And I should say optimism. And then um, the photos start going viral with like Afropunk and more black based audiences. And people were like, wow, Rachel, you know, the feminist movement isn't for black women. Like, you know, that this and this mm. and this has happened. And I'm like, wait, what don't I know? And what do I need to learn? And what do I need to impart to all of these white women who I have, um, you know, access to and influence with? Um, and that's when I decided that I was going to start teaching on what I was learning. Mm. And so that's what I love about my platform and about what I do now is because I'm in school. Um, I'm so great. I'm so lucky to be at such a great university. And I'm also doing all of my own research. And then I just like, I literally like download it into my brain and then go and like teach it as soon as I wow. learn it because I just want to continue as both bringing stuff out of the academy. It's so pretentious and so closed off. It's, you know, it's stupid. Like all of these academic conferences, it's like a bunch of academics talking to each other instead of getting this very valuable information That's to the public. That's all conferences, honey. Yeah, I know. Wellness yeah, shit. You're yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yo, sure. I know all this. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so my goal is to take this information out of the academy into the public. And so that's why I love the fact that my lectures are public. I'm not doing it. There's no organization controlling where I go, what I do, who I talk to. Um, wow. So this public lecturing and public engagement on these topics and oftentimes I you know, push my readers out, send them out an academic journal link instead of just like, uh, you know, Buzzfeed article. Like I want us to go deeper and really all, um, do this more critical discourse around it instead of like opinion based sound bites, you know, very surface things. And I'm amazed by how intensely my community engages in what I throw at them, even though it's much deeper than we usually are getting from the internet. Mm. Mm. So how has the way in which you've like called white women in evolved especially recently I mm. feel like yeah my audience has grown so much that I could I just can't even exist. when we first reached out yeah it's I, fucking I just, crazy I just don't exist I just can't you can't I can't exist the same way as I was I when know. I had 10,000 followers as I do with 
I think I'm at like 115 now. And it's Bing. just, and now you're so rich. <laughs> yeah. I'm so rich. No, I go to the dentist. So much money. I go to the dentist all the time. <laughs> so one of the things I do as a rich person. <laughs> I think people do like associate followers with how much money you have. And it's really they funny. You make, it's really funny. Right? Like, they, they you make 115 You make 100 Like just from the back. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone sends me a dollar every year. Yeah. <laughs> Each follower is one dollar. <laughs> so funny. Um, but yeah, that, yeah. That's what people think. <laughs> but wait, what were you? I know. I'm sorry. What is the way in which you've changed oh, the changed way you the talk way to I white women? Yeah. So before, when we were talking, it was it was able to be more of a conversation because I had like the people who were following me just knew me better and mm-hmm. they they followed my work more closely. I think. But now with more people coming in, I just can't control the conversation. Not control, but I can't manage the conversation like I used to. So I kind of. Put, I think now I kind of just put out information and give action items like, okay, this is what I'm telling you. This is what you need to learn. And these are some actions you can take as opposed to like, let's talk about it here. And now those conversations, which I really like about it is that instead of doing them on Instagram, like I used to do now, I'm like, okay, go learn this stuff and I'll be lecturing in your city. Come out. We can talk about it in person. Um, I do my intensive workshop. So I, we do three hours of sitting around and having these deeper conversations. So mm-hmm. I think I used to have it in like smaller groups online, but now I'm just giving information to a bigger audience and then pulling people offline to have more intimate conversations. And I hope, I know I can't get to everyone in person, but I hope that people are able to reflect that in their own platforms or lives. I love homes. And for, yeah, cause I guess for the, so for the conversation that, that are being had within, you know, your comments and your DMS and stuff like that, like you're obviously not going to silence anyone, but how do you like, do you respond to everyone? Like how do, no. how do I, yeah. Like what do you do to like, <laughs> no, I definitely don't respond to everyone. A lot of questions that are asked to me are easily Googleable. And so if you can Google it, I'm not going to answer. And if you really wanted to know, you'll Google it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people expect emotional labor and intellectual labor from me um, just because I'm a black woman and they think that they deserve my time and my answers when literally any the things that many, many people ask me, they could easily go on Google and type the exact same thing that they put into my DMs mm-hmm. and find all the information that they need. So I usually, mm-hmm. so no, I could, if I answered everything, it'd be a full-time job. And then I would expect that $1 per follower. Mm-hmm. Salary. Yes. <laughs> We're working uh, on a business model here. <laughs> uh, something that you, you mentioned that I want to dig into um, is how the feminist movement is not for black women as like a comment that you made, I'd love to hear more. Like, Yeah, I mean, if you follow my work, a lot of what I'm doing right now, specifically my lecture of unpacking white feminism is looking at the very racist history of the feminist movement, looking at the racist things that um, Susan B. Anthony said and her whole team of feminine, quote unquote, feminist heroes. I say often your heroes are not my heroes. And they were, there was very racist roots to the feminist movement from telling black women if they wanted to march with them for suffrage, they needed to do it at the back of the line. And um, going out and telling when they were campaigning for their own um, voting rights, telling white men that if they let, if they let white women vote, that they'll, you know, support white supremacy and not derail from it and that these were words said out on the campaign trying to get women's rights to vote and so um feminism the idea of 
a feminist movement that is working for all women has never existed. It's mm. always been a white feminism and maybe other women have gotten the benefits of women being able to do something, but never was there an intention from white women to include all women in their feminist efforts. Um, so there was this grand exclusion mm. and it shows today still. Wow. And so that's the work that I'm doing is pretty much holding up a a mirror to white women saying, look at who you are and what this movement is and what it's done to black women and other marginalized. I mean, if we could look at it from other ways that things interest sex with womanhood, like sexuality, things like that. And so basically my work is just holding my work right now. It's not like my life's work, but my work right now is holding up a mirror to white women, uh, reminding themselves about the feminist movement. Uh, where it was, where we are, and what my expectations as a black woman are moving forward if they want to be able to call themselves feminists. Because right now, as my Harper's Bazaar piece is, uh, white feminism is just white supremacy in heels. Love that. Mm. And Harper's Bazaar was down. Yeah, they were. That Dude, piece did a, really, really well. It's beautiful. Wow. It's a beautiful yeah, piece. So yeah, it did really well. And then they brought me on. I think my third, I, I should have another one coming out today. That's amazing. Damn. Yeah. We're often in wellness spaces um, and we've seen the cracks there as well where, you know, it's mainly catering to wealthy white women. Mm -hmm. Um, What has been your experience in like the health and wellness space? Yeah. They hate me. (laughs) The people in the wealth Mm, and health, the, the health and wellness space. What are their names? Just kidding. <laughs> so many. <laughs> Let me grab the mic and go. Through always ask for names. <laughs> yeah. um, there's, there's this identity within that movement of self-identifying as someone who is good. Like all of the, all of a person's goodness is wrapped up in what they're eating, how they're moving their body, how their body image looks, the words that they're saying to each other, um, the language of the health and wellness space. We all know what words and what terms Mm. are used within the health and wellness space. Um, What's lining your cabinets, what food is there, what brands are there, Um, kind of just the celebrating of each other and how good they are compared to whoever else is in the world and however Mm. else anyone else is existing. So when I come in and I say, well, I got to tell you something, you know, the post that gets so much, well, all my posts get so much (laughs) conversation going, but the one that always gets a lot of conversation is where it asks the question, you know, maybe you manifested it. Maybe it's just your white privilege. And it's a, it's a conversation around the fact that wealth in this country is not at all evenly dispersed and there's a ton of socioeconomic issues that this country has from its foundation in slavery and other ways that it's marginalized and oppressed groups in order to make sure. I mean, all the wealth that any white person has in this country was built on the fact that they have come into a country, completely massacred the Native Americans. So all this quote unquote property that they have is on the backs of people of color. And then they bring in black people and Mm -hmm. they're having them completely work to build. Think about all the wealth that black people got for this country with their labor and that's so then that's so we go from completely dismissing native american people and getting quote-unquote property and then bringing in black people to do all of the work for free (laughs) 
<laughs> at, at, at the expense of our bodies and our families and our mental health and our existence. Mm-hmm. Um, so then there's wealth and we're moving on and there's, it's manifested in a million ways today. And so that when some, uh, you know, when we're go when we're looking at the wellness world and people are saying, I've manifested all of this opportunity, actually you're a white person in America. So you have a lot more opportunity standard than anyone else does. And even when we look at the also another world that gets this a lot is like the entrepreneurship world where people are out pitching and you know raising funds and a lot of times they say investors will say well we can't take you on until you have your family and friends around till you get like at least a million from your family and friends around okay well a lot of like black <laughs> yeah, families so like I, I can't go i'm not gonna get a million from my family and friends yeah, and but white women they go out and they get their million from their family and friends and they're and then they come to the pitch um, event and they're like, yes, I did it. And I'm, I've manifested and I've worked really hard for this thing. And I don't doubt that you worked hard, but it's because you've had, you have this baseline of opportunity and this baseline of privilege that a lot of people, and I'll talk for black people in particular, cause that's what I am. Um, have to work twice as hard for half of what white yeah. people get. Wow. hundred percent. I think about, I guess I think about that uh, well, someone posted that in our group and I was really grateful that they did because it really gave me pause to kind of think about my verbiage with that and the way that in which I would use the word manifest and mm-hmm. I needed that. And I, so I was really appreciative that someone did that. And I even think about just as an example in, in, in my life, I guess, with my parents paying for my college. Oh yeah. Like that mm-hmm. is, if I was working with, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in college debt right now, like there's no way I would be where I am, quote unquote, wherever that is. My first thought when you said that, it wasn't even about your debt. It was about how comfortable were you sitting in college, 100%. just going to class. Me, yeah. I, I mean, working I remember working at, I was I working at J. Crew. I remember my phone got cut off a billion times. And, you know, I was sending money back to my mom, yeah. trying to help yeah. her with whatever was going. And Thank like, you. it's, it's, it's not even just the cash that people have to consider. It's like the mental, like you're able to rest. Yeah. You're mm. able to sleep. You're able to go out and have fun with friends. You're able to laugh. Yeah. I'm sure your parents had health insurance for you. You're able to go get mental health care if you need it. You, you know, you could go to the dentist. You could go to the doctor. There's all of these things that it's so, it's so far beyond just the money yeah. that's sitting. The money definitely matters, but there's so much that comes with financial security that everyone mm. deserves that security. Mm. There's no reason people should be terrified of things going through life because of like dollars that are in their account or not. And in those formative years, uh, you yeah. know, for that to yeah. like- Yeah, um, I can't even, I mean, that must've been so great <laughs> to yeah, be able literally. to have that comfortability and that yeah. space to breathe and really study. So think about all the- and think but about then all, I didn't study. Right? <laughs> and, but think about all of the like kid, marginalized groups who are out like working their ass off working for school. and studying. And, they, and studying yeah. and working and worrying about their parents and worrying about what- how they're going to get home for Thanksgiving and worrying about all of these things. Um, and then if they don't do as well academically, we're lazy or we're just not smart enough or we're just not trying hard enough, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it's this whole system and that goes into the workforce and that goes into dating and that goes into how we exist in the world. It's all so interconnected. Is there, and and I I don't know this and I kind of feel bad not knowing this. Like, is there support for people? Like if I'm thinking about my college experience and people who were 
working simultaneously were trying to, you know, pay off loans as they were trying to get an education and do their best. Like, is there extra support there? Like, where's the, where are the holes that like need to be kind of filled in order for them to feel at least a little bit more supported rather, do you know what I'm saying? Does it not exist? I mean, it looks like money. It looks like scholarships and money, but also, so right now I'm doing my fundraiser for black women and girls to get therapy. And one thing that people are asking, and it drives me crazy because it's so ingrained in us, women of color. So I made like a little form so I could get everyone's information. Cause basically what I'm doing, I'm taking the money that's coming and I'm literally calling the therapist of the person, like a girl will give me, I say, tell me your name. Tell me mm. your therapist and tell me your therapist's phone number. That's the only information I ask from people on this form. And then I'm like calling the therapist and say, hey, I'm calling. I want to put $500 on Jessica's books. Done. Mm. And all of these women, all of these women of color are coming to me saying, they're like writing me this big long email about like why they deserve it and what they what they did in order to, to, to like be able. And I'm like, girl, stop. Mm. We have been so taught to lay our trauma mm. out, to prove why. So things like scholarships yeah. and things like even wow. welfare, like governmental support, all the support, it's not support, it's control. It's being able to say, and also the like the feeling of, okay, we've helped, we've done something. And so it's, if it was really support, it would look like what I'm doing to say like, right. you're a person who we know systematically you need this help and the support to move forward. Um, here, here's the money. Do with it what you know you need for yourself. But instead, there's all of these qualifiers, all of these um you know, mm. people coming into your house. And if you don't know, if you're not familiar with the welfare system, mm. be, literally they will come into your house to make sure that you're living well enough. They, they'll look at your bank account to see what you're, if you get $10 more than what you said you got, they're going to take it out of and say, you didn't tell us you got that money. We're taxing you for it. Or we're going to take a percentage of it because you never told us. And so it's this like intense control that adds even more stress to what you're already experiencing than necessarily the support that, Mm. where we understand people would need. Mm. And I guess for me personally, like I just started opening my eyes to the work and trying my best. And, you know, as like a white woman, it's like growing up in Ohio, like Mm -hmm. I was around no black people. Mm. No. Even in Cincinnati? In Cincinnati. I was a suburb outside. Yeah, It was like cornfields. Yeah. So there was no black people. So I wasn't even really, and then I went to school in Ohio, I went to Miami. Mm. Not such a lot of white, yeah. the whitest school ever. Yeah, such a white school. It's crazy. And then I was in Chicago for a while in New York. And it was really like when I graduated and I got outside that I was like even around people of different races. So it's like, I mean, I just, for me, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like, I have so far to go and I have like so much education to do. Like where can a lot of the women in our community start? Google, like read, like surround yourself yeah there's so many resources in terms of so my my equation for allyship is education plus empathy plus action equals allyship Mm. so you need to know you need to read books you need to understand the experiences watch shows read books watch movies listen to the voices of people of color to really understand what their life is about like me telling you all this stuff it's like oh I didn't know so now Mm. you know and then that should hopefully I'm assuming put this put you in a space of like okay there's a incredible disconnect here between humanity and dignity and all of sorry, all of this stuff in the country. And then that should hopefully push you to action. And then 
if any of those are missing, if you're if you're taking action without empathy, you're performing. And if you're knowing without taking action, I don't know what you're doing. You're just totally. like sitting there comfortably with information. You're been, you're basically just knowing what you need to know, yet benefiting from your white privilege or the white supremacy that you benefit from. Yeah. So there's it has to have all of those components in order to be true allyship. Because if it's not, then it's either just like you knowing and continuing in your white supremacy or you taking action. It's really just a performance because you're not really working with the knowledge and empathy you need to really help or you know, be mm. not, help is not the word to really be an accomplice or a support to what people of color are looking for to progress in the country. Mm. And I know you're having a lot of um, one-on-one individual conversation. I can conversations I can imagine where um, you're having to explain or educate. Does that ever get exhausting? Like, how do you take care of yourself? How do you kind of navigate that in a way that yes, you are hopefully the person is leaving the conversation, you know, feeling like, wow. Yeah, it is exhausting. I don't do many one-on-one conversations anymore just because I have created so many resources at this point where I can just direct people. Um, So that takes off a little bit of the pressure um, of having these conversations. But also I just feel like this is my work. And I often get asked by women of color, you know, like Rachel, um, I want to be, or should I be doing what you're doing? You know, how do I communicate with all of these white people who are really hurting me or being violent towards me in a variety of ways? And I always tell people, you know, black people existing is the work. Us just being in this country, being happy, moving forward, keeping hope, continuing to believe and work towards our successes and our excellence and demanding our dignity and just existing in this world as a black person is a revolution in itself for Mm -hmm. a country that never, ever wanted us in the first place Mm -hmm. besides to be free labor. Um, And so I always tell people of color, you know, you don't, unless you feel like this is your work, don't feel like you have to deep dive into this work. This is my work for sure. Like literally I did not put a call out to 115,000 white women to follow me. Like there was no sign I made. Mm -hmm. There was no, like, I didn't wake up, you know, like, you know what, I'm going to start talking to white women about race. Like Mm -hmm. never was that any intention. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I now have this platform and this audience, I'm just assuming my ancestors sent them my way and said, Rachel, it's your turn. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I take this as my work and I take pride in it and I have fun with it. And I, you know, it's my living now and this is what I do, but it's definitely not the work of other people. So speaking into the fact that this is my work, I don't think it's as exhausting as it might be for someone who didn't feel like this is what they were meant to be doing. But um, I take a lot of pride in, you know, in the writing that I do and in the speaking that I do. And so um, I take it, I'm assuming I feel the same way anyone does when they're working a job, but there is a lot of decompressing I have to do after every lecture and after every workshop and um, every podcast that I'm doing Mm -hmm. and every speaking opportunity, because it's, you know, it's not like going into into an office and clocking out. It's like going in and speaking on my own truth and my own trauma and my own um, frustrations and my own joys. And there's just mm. so much of myself in this because I am a black woman, but also the exhaustion of, I think really the exhaustion doesn't come in the work. The exhaustion comes in doing this work so hard every day. And then, you know, seeing a little black boy in Brooklyn being accused of sexual assault Mm. by a white woman at the bodega, like the exhaustion comes in doing this work and still seeing the same shit over and over. It's not so much in the daily work. It's in the emotional like weight 
of doing this work and then seeing the same shit happen continuously. But mm. it's, it's this catch 22 of like, this sucks and I don't want to fucking do this anymore. And this has to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I guess for women, like for, so is a woman of color, someone that is not a white woman? Yes. Like, okay. So we're talking, so not a white woman, but I, a lot of my work speaks directly to the experiences of black women. Cause okay. that's what I can speak to okay. confidently. Okay. I just want to talk briefly, not briefly, but um, about what happened this past summer um, when your post about uh, Nia Wilson was taken down or the post after. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to talk about, I want to talk about kind of like the, how do we change like the regulation? Like you talked about control. So there's Facebook, there's Instagram, and they're able to take down posts yeah. like that. Like what? But we what, see crazy posts all the time. All like assholes. the fucking time. I have like, like posts, porn posts every day that give me nightmares. But yeah. also consider the fact that these systems are made by white men who created also this country and we see how it's being run. Like it's this country. Okay. Just for a second, consider this country is running the way it was built to run. Mm. Like this country was made by oppressive white men who came here and were willing to kill everything in their way to get money and for like for profit and for their own comfortability. And it's all running the way that they had planned it. Like nothing, nothing should surprise us. We can be angry, but nothing should surprise us because this country is doing exactly what it was built to do. Mm. Yeah. Do you, and I want to talk about comfortability and being uncomfortable. And I feel like, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's me as a white woman always wanting to be comfortable. Yeah. You know, because you've never had, there's no reason for you to have been uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I want to talk about that, like being okay with it, what it means. And like, I guess you're just like, well, what you're referring to is what is academically now spoken to. The title is white fragility. Mm. And the fact that white people have never had to talk about race and they've never had to address it head on. And so they have such a low tolerance of talking about it because mm. it's like, it's mm. immediately uncomfortable because you never had to address it and you never had to really come up against what the fact that you live in white skin means for other people. Yep. Um, and so when the, com the conversation comes up, there's this defensiveness and the silencing um, because you just don't want to talk about it because you've never had to. And you're mm. like, wait, I've never had to talk about this. So I'm going to ensure that I don't. And that's a fragility because the tolerance is so low. And so what that means is that people of color are either silenced saying, you know, cutting them off at whatever they're saying, completely dismissing their words, or you, your voice getting louder and determining that your feelings are more important than the actual experiences of um, people of color. And so to address that, I often say, you know, white feelings don't matter more than black lives. Mm -hmm. And if there's, if we see it on the news every day, a black body on the concrete, but you don't want to talk about it because you're uncomfortable, like that's unacceptable. It's just, it's just unacceptable. 100%. And where's safe, what are safe spaces for people to be having these conversations? Like at your events and lectures or no. like... <laughs> I mean, no, no, we're... It's not... It's never going to be easy. Yeah. And I promise you as a white person, you'll be safe. Yeah. I always tell in my in my lectures, I always... I have them... Um, I'm not I'm not my lecture, my workshop. I have people... I call people out on using words like hurt or afraid mm. or 
terrified. They'll use these words to describe their feelings when talking about race. Mm. And I go, no, 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 you're uncomfortable. Mm. Terrified is a black mother sending her kid out knowing that the police could shoot him and the police will never be held accountable. Mm. Scared is walking into, and I think it was in Kansas just a few days ago, a white man went in and shot a few black people in the Kroger, in the grocery store, just because he was tired of black people in his space and he shot them. Those are scared. That's terrified. That's these words that you're using are not your truth. These, the only word that white people can use when talking about race is uncomfortable. Mm. And oftentimes that's, that's held higher than the fear and the trauma and all of these other things that actual black people are feeling as opposed to just the pure discomfort of talking about it in, in the safety of your home. A hundred percent. Yeah. So you asking for a safe space, you're never going to be not safe talking yeah. about race. Yeah, you might be so uncomfortable, right. but my like actual concern about safety yeah. as a black person is very different than a white person asking for a quote unquote safe space yeah. just to talk yeah. about race. I've been thinking a lot about just not healing like like my ancestors. I, I can only go back great grandmothers, right? Great great grandfathers. Like, and I know that, you know, part of my experience is of ignorant white people. Mm-hmm. And so, like, even just in very casual conversation, I can remember grandparents saying inappropriate, beyond inappropriate mm-hmm. things. And 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 while I know that's not me, I just feel like this kind of pit where I'm like, how do you, do you go, do you like go back and you have conversations like mm-hmm. with your family? Like, yes, that is the ideal, but it's like, it, it, it's like this feeling of like wanting to move forward and then also wanting to like Redo bring everyone path. else up to fucking speed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, well, the, if, if any, yeah. any white person still on this earth, coexisting with black people on this earth the conversation needs to be had yeah it just is what it like the Mm -hmm. if we're all here in this space we can never leave it to that's just how it was or that's just what they thought or that's how it was when people grew up there's just no excuses because if i do i still have to walk past your grandpa sitting at the restaurant and hear him say something racist Mm -hmm. that will affect you Mm -hmm. know my own mental health for the rest of you know, forever. And so there's not an excuse of letting it go because that's just how it is. So yeah, there's work to do across a a wide range of things. And that's, it's, I promise it's not as hard as what. Yeah. I'm not worried about it being with. hard. I guess it's just like this. I don't know. Um, I don't, <laughs> for me, it's like, I don't see everyone a lot. I'm very much on my own Island out here. So like yeah. just kind of thinking about like, you know, that yeah, like those generations that, you know, the, the thought of them doing anything different than what they've always done is like just the most arduous thing to them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, where do you spend your energy? Like, but I, I, I hear you on that and you're so right. I think we have some questions yeah. in the group. I know. I wanted to make sure that we gave them a yeah. chance to ask some questions. Absolutely. Um, so we talked about wellness the wellness community, but how the Lauren wanted to ask, how does, how does Rachel think that the wellness community can be more inclusive of people of color slash those of varying socioeconomic statuses? Well, one, consider how much things are costing. It shouldn't cost $60 to go to a yoga class. Mm. And 
if you're really here about wellness, like wellness, wellness, yeah. <laughs> then it there's not like this high profit margin that we see. And then it's the wellness space is completely commodified. And one way that I've seen it happen a million times is, you know, when, so if we think about when, um, Maxine Waters was out doing her work and she used the word reclaiming my time. And if we remember, she said that, and then it got like, all of a sudden it's on t-shirts and coffee mugs. And it's like, why is us fighting for our rights turned into a business venture? And we see that over and over again, where wellness is being commodified in order to Mm. take this thing that everyone deserves Mm. and turn it into a a, you know, maximum profit business venture. I understand that people have to make money, but there's, you know, you really have to consider what you're branding yourself as in terms of actually being there and available for the wellness of all people. Because I believe that these white women in these spaces are here for wellness, but they're here for the wellness of other white women mm-hmm. who can pay the same amount of money as they can pay to be on an island somewhere doing yoga and eating granola. Like yeah. it's, don't call it wellness then call it like your yoga group or something mm-hmm. <laughs> like don't make it about true wellness of all people because it's very obviously not mm. so in that situation it would be like focusing on making the price affordable for everyone or yeah, making doing it like, like a not sliding commodifying it. Sli- yeah not commodifying it making yeah. it a sliding scale and also if you consider and it's those it's questions like that that say you know how can we bring more people of color into our space yeah. think about why people of color don't want to be in your space <laughs> like yeah. it's not like people of color are walking around and can't find you like there's a very <laughs> there's like a very real reason why we don't want to be in that space with you yes. and and like consider what it is that you're doing or showing or yeah. representing that makes me be like mm, I'd rather not I'm, I'm good, good. Yeah. yeah that's so true yeah that's all we think I mean not all but like when we look at events and rosters and like conferences and they're stuff they're all if it's and it's it blows my mind with the feminist movement the white feminist movement who will go on and say like why are there all men here I can't believe that someone would put me in a like that would someone even think to put, throw an event where it's only men on the stage and it's only men on the panels but you guys are th- a hundred percent on board to walk into a space that's completely white. Zillion percent. We, we just started really looking at that, like in the past couple of years, since we've started to have this conversation. Cause like, I mean, I just woke up a few years ago to like every, you know, like my life, I guess. And now we look at it every time we're like, and it's a lot like, this is so boring. Like, I don't want to listen. And it's not that like, if you think about it, it's intentional at this point. It's not like there's not women of color who are doing this work. Also, if you think about things like, Okay, so I'm taking, I love talking about this. So I'm taking a class right now called Gender and Sexuality in African History. Mm. And I love it because my professor, every class is titled like colonization of. So we just recently Mm. went through colonization of birth and colonization of motherhood. And it's basically looking at the ways that white colonists came into these African villages and they said, you need to be in a hospital and you need to not keep the placenta and you need to blah, blah, blah. Like you need to not breastfeed. You need, are giving all these other things that need to be done. Like you um, need their, to be laying down their, giving birth. Yeah, their definition of what a good mother is, mm. um, their definition of what a good woman looks like. And so they would go in and basically what they started to do, they would start training younger African women in their Western medicine so that they could start pushing out the older midwives who were in the, very respected in the village in order to birth the children and do their traditions wow. and all of this stuff. So that's how they did it. They would just train these younger girls when normally the people in the village would only let older women 
like mm-hmm. be part of their birthing experience. They started to push that out, bring in younger girls to completely um, like drain the culture of their traditions when it comes to birth. And so if we look at all of these very natural birthing things that were done all over the world that were colonized by European people, now how much does it cost to have a midwife? How much does it cost to go to like a natural birthing center? These things that were just part of our existence got colonized and now it was ripped away from us and we can't even afford it anymore. Yo, tell me another thing about wow. another colonization thing. Uh, like what's another example of a colonization? Something as simple as like colonization of the home. Like people didn't always eat with like in Af- yeah. if you go to an Ethiopian restaurant today people eat with, eat with their, their hands, hands right? literally yeah. they would go into the schools and they would bring these little girls to the schools and they would de- teach them how to sit at a table teach them how to eat with a fork and knife teach them how to you know wash clothes a certain way and like people were existing pretty okay up until the time that the colonizers came in um, and did all this, even colonization of womanhood. And it's almost to make them feel comfortable. Oh, for 100%. sure. To, they're, well, because every to, to Europeans, everyone's a savage. And in my other course that I'm taking called uh, critical, what is it called? Critical approaches um, to social issues. We were looking at, consider academia. And this always, it blew my mind and I'm excited to see I you guys' reaction. <laughs> consider academia. White people are the, default and everything else is to be studied so like there's africans is there any white studies like there's african studies there's oriental studies there's you know all if we're looking at throughout the history of the world whiteness is white people are the knowers and everything else is to be known white people are the educated and everyone else is to be studied wow and that's just how it's been for so long and so looking like literally I'm sitting at Columbia and we're critiquing the academic system, looking at the ways in which whiteness is considered the default. And so when they go into these countries, like, Oh, look at these savages and we need to give them civilization. And so literally um, we were reading these like texts from African Kings long ago saying that they're, they're like, these white people are coming in and for whatever reason they keep telling us that we need to get civilized, but now, you know, they're making us have these monogamous marriages or they're making us have, and this was also the missionary, the Christian missionaries. Christian. Yeah, we're hand in hand with the capitalists. So they were coming in and colonizing these spaces and making, so, so one example is, so like the hospitals, which were run by the Christian missionaries, they would say the only way you could come and get medical support from like this advanced medicine that was beneficial to get some baptized. people is if you converted. And so like, it's, it's just so manipulative and so incredible. And, and if we think about what white savior looks like today, these people going into African countries saying they need us, we need to help them, but really, but they're not, they're, they're not actually asking like, what do you need? <laughs> they're saying mm, we have this and wow. we're going to give it to you. Totally. And, and it's, it's modern day colonization. Like there's nothing different. And so just really, even, you know, womanhood, what's considered a good woman. If, if you look, if you really, and of course I didn't even know this stuff until I started taking this course, but if you look at the way marriages worked and womanhood worked and, you know, the empowerment of women, it's only, there's this need to be empowered because so much was taken away when, when colonizers came into these spaces. Um, But 
now and then, but white people think they're the default and everyone else needs to come up to where they are, come up to where they are, quote unquote, like there's this hierarchy of existence in the world. Like no one else existed before white people. And so they're coming to save everyone all over the world. If you look at a map of like the world, what has been colonized by white people, if you think about the way that Africa, like Literally, they came in and said, we're going to take that. We're going to take that. We're going to take that. Like, why are people in Africa speaking French? Why are people in Africa speaking Spanish? Why are people in Africa speaking English? It's because they were like, they literally Mm. were taken and controlled by these white people. And so there's just so much of our human existence that we consider whiteness as the default of Mm. beauty, of health, of womanhood, of body shape, of motherhood, you know? It's, it's, there's so much to dig into about it. Damn. I'm a pit in my stomach thinking about like my fourth grade social studies. Book. Yo, that's what I think. That's why my kids are not going to normal schools. I don't know what they're going to do, but like they're going to like watch her Instagram. Come, yeah, send them over like, to my We're going to no, go to her. Real. Because <laughs> I'm like, if I Dude. think about social studies, I'm like, oh, think about uh, Christopher Columbus shit. Are you fucking kidding me? Like me in Ohio learning history? It's a joke. And it's that's just the beginning. That's like the stuff yeah, that the we now are like, yeah, yeah it's that's actually the actual bullshit. But like if I'm thinking about kind of like the lesson plans and how they were structured and like the course of the year and what we were going to learn by the end. I mean, it's actually pretty nauseating. I, I wonder if you could sue social studies books companies or get our money back for all of those years. I mean, for that is really schools. disturbing. It's, it's absolutely disturbing. Yeah. The food in public schools, like the relationships that they have with like dairy companies and like GMO companies, like there's a lot with the health. And I know this is different in like other places, but there's so many things that are wrong with the public school system. It's fucking insane. Wow. Okay. Wow. Colonization is. Read up on it. There's so much. There's so. The craziest thing. Much. I want to go to school with you. Come. Well, my goal is that. How much fun? Not fun. but How much growth have you done? Oh, I, I mean. I'm struggling a lot because it's really hard to tour a lecture and go to school yeah, at the same time. So shout out to my professors shout who give me leeway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but also it informs my writing so much. And I love it. Cause like I said, my goal of even going to school, I didn't have to go back to school. Like I have a career. I don't, I don't need to be in school per se, but I just really want to just like devour all of this information. Mm-hmm. And like, I can't wait. I just want to do lecture series forever and just like take this information and continuously travel and give this information and get people mm. talking and really deep diving in. My favorite compliment I've ever had is that I did, um, where, where was I at? Oh, I did my lecture um, in New York City at a co-working space and someone came up to me after and they're like, Rachel, I felt like I was like at, in college just now. Like I felt like I was I feel like- in a college mm-hmm. lecture and I love that. Like I want everyone to come in and just feel like they're doing some like deep badass learning and they're ready to like go out and start in like really using it in how they move through the world. Um, So yeah, I love being in school because I'm able to really pull exactly what I'm learning from this Ivy league university and like saying like, okay, you guys let's meet up at this co-working space. And I'm about to tell you all of it. Dude, that's beautiful. We should do an event. I would love to, I'd be in the front row. (laughs) (laughs) We should do like a summer school. Dude, I'm so down. (gasps) I'm so down. Yo. I'm, your, I'm first in Rolly. Summer, we're, yeah, we're planning on going Summer 2018. Summer, yeah. yeah I'll see do you, anything. See you all there. I'll, I'll, set up anything. All, I'll set up all the stuff for your <laughs> Okay. Can you cut the carrots for lunch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got you. Okay, one more from Anna. Yes, I love her. 
I guess, what are the most immediate action steps white women and wellness can do today? I'm a yoga teacher and I feel like I educate myself and have a social justice minded social media platform, but sometimes I fall short on what I can do in the yoga room itself. The other thing I'm curious about is waking up with other, waking up other white people with their own allyship, like people in her family. You know, it's so funny because I'm going to start, I'm going to start, uh, keeping track of this because I get asked the same question over and over and over yeah, and over sorry. again in yeah. 800 different ways, literally 800. Like yeah. I'm really going to start keeping track. I feel like even it, those two questions, it comes, they're really the same. It's, it's all, how can I, Rachel, tell me what to do. Yeah. That's all it is. Whether in my lectures, I, I, people ask, you know, how do I talk to my boyfriend? How do I talk to my grandpa? How do I talk to my teacher? How do I talk to the, how do I talk to the people in my family? How do I bring this into the wellness world? This isn't rocket science, everyone. <laughs> like, Fuck. it's not crazy. This is like, it blows my mind how so many white women come to me and they've just graduated from university or they've just had a baby or they've just gotten married. And I'm like, did you have any instruction manuals for that? Mm. Or did you like, you yeah. just like, you decided this is what I want to do. So you figured it out. Yeah. Do you, mm. And it's not, yeah. it's, and it's hard having a baby is hard. Like being like bringing a human into the world is hard. Getting married is hard. Traveling around the world. You know, there's people who like travel around the world for six Bank months taxes is hard. then come back. Bank taxes is so Boy, hard. This is what we got to do for figuring it out. <laughs> yeah. Mm. This is what I have to do. So I'll figure it out. And there's resources available to me. So figure I'm going to go out. tap into those resources and then I'm going to pull it out into my community. And I'm going to say, wow, this is hard right now, but I'm still going to do it. Like there's no, every question boils down to Rachel, make, tell me what to do and make this easier for me. The answer is there's nothing to tell you except you're going to go out and start having conversations about race and it's going to be hard and you're going to mess up and then you're going to go out and you're going to learn and you're going to do better. Mm. Like it's, this is just like riding a bike. It's just like, like it's not, and you're going to be uncomfortable and you'll survive and thrive. Yeah. I often wonder like even that, that question, whether what percentage of people, and this is not to say that people don't want to do this. It's just more like what percentage of people is just you, asking you the question, making them feel better. Oh, uh, for does that make sure. Sense? For sure. A hundred, there's people. And then they probably stop. They yeah. never have a conversation, but the fact that they asked yeah. a woman of color, how they can help makes That's them enough. feel better for a few months. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so performative and it's all for self, this self-indulgent need yeah. to be able to say that I'm sure that's why people come to my lecture. I'm sure that's why people follow wow. me on Instagram. Like it doesn't, it, if you hear, if you look at the group chat between me and all the other black women activists on Instagram who like are in our world, we literally sit there and we're like, Hmm, it's very interesting, you know, like, but when it's time to show up, because when it's time to show up, when it's time to vote, when it's yeah. time to start talking mm. about things that have happened, when, when it's time to, you know, when we're, when you're sitting in a room, like who's doing stuff and I'll never know. The truth is I'll never know. Um, but I'll, I'll continue doing my work for the people who are doing it. But I always tell people and I'll share it with your audience is, and I'm interested for you to, to do this activity right now is just consider who do you not talk to about race? Like, just think for a second, who is it that I say, oh, I'm not, what stops you in that moment? Say like, who do you not talk to and mm -hmm. why? And then I tell people to draw a line on a piece of paper and put on that line that whatever your answer was, was it, was it like, cause, and usually it's like my mom, because I don't want her to be upset with me or, you know, something along those lines. And I say, great, that's your line of allyship. That's where you've decided you're done. That's where you have decided I'm not an ally anymore. Wow. Like it's there in front of you. I don't want to talk about it anymore. You go do whatever you need to do to figure out how to keep moving that line further and further. Mm. 
So basically all of the questions that come to me, that's people approaching me saying, hi, here's my line of allyship. Wow. Motivate me. And I'm not here to, I'm not a, I'm not a motivative speaker. Mm-hmm. What are they motivational. called? Yeah. <laughs> I like that word I'm, like not, <laughs> I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not here to inspire. I am a teacher and I'm here to teach. And I hope, and I'm not, I'm also, I'm even struggling with the word activist. Like I'm not an, I'm not out here organizing people. I'm literally just offering information and I'm just hoping people have the decency and the humanity to take wow. meaningful action with it. Like I'm a writer. I'm a writer and I'm a teacher. I go out and I lecture and I write on things that I know. I'm not, there's, I'm not like out doing necessarily political work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, I'm just giving, I'm just like spitting facts and hoping that you take them and do something with them. And people have two choices. Either you're going to say, wow, there's this information that I didn't know. So I'm going to go take action and say, wow, that really sucks. But I'm going to sit in my, you know, whiteness mm-hmm. and I'll have someone, I'll let someone else deal with it. Mm. Damn the allyship shit. Wow. That's that was stops. Fucking awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. line of allyship. And everything, everything up to that point, and I and maybe I should have added that. Everything up to that point is a performance. Because the action is in the is in that stuff, the hard stuff. Yeah. Everything wow. up to that point is so you can say, I'm an ally, I'm an ally, I'm an ally, then you stop and then you're done. So everything up to that, you're not, if you were an ally, you would be pushing the boundary to ensure mm. the safety of the bodies and the minds and the life experiences of whoever. Cause people come in and they say, and, and, and I, and I bring this up and people come in and they say, I ask the question, why are you here? Why did you come to my workshop? Why did you pay this money to sit here and have this conversation about race? And people get so excited because they're at Rachel's workshop and they're allies Mm. and they come in and they say, I'm here because I want to protect black people and I want to use my privilege to protect people of color who have been systematically oppressed. And then we do that activity. I do that activity at the very end before people Mm. leave because I don't, no one's walking out of my, no one's walking out of everyone there. No one's walking out of my workshop feeling like they got some type of ally certificate. So they come in and then, and they, and everyone tells me like, oh, I'm here because I want to be an ally to black people. And so then I have them do that activity. And so then I say, you know, whatever your line of allyship, whatever is stopping you, going back to the example of like, oh, my mom, because I don't want her to get upset with me. Who, who are you protecting? White people again. Mm. Whatever your line is, it's you again, ensuring the comfort it's not ensuring the safety. It's not ensuring the well-being. It's literally ins- again ensuring the comfort of white people, and that's why you're not and you're not working towards the furthest line of allyship you could possibly be. Damn. So, wow! Thank you. I'm absorbing. Yeah, not quite often, but I need to digest and absorb. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Truly, I'm so happy. Literally, to be here. you're the, the best. best. Sorry, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) What are you you excited about next year? And where can our women find you? My book should be coming out next year, hopefully. Wow. Fingers crossed. Let us know. We'll have you back on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Fingers crossed. I have a TED Talk lined up for next year. You do? Oh, that's crazy. I mean, it will be fun. And just continuing to lecture. I love doing this. I love going out and bringing people offline. I love getting people from off their screens and in rooms full of others to say like, okay, we're doing this and we're here and we're learning and, you know, just being face to face with people. So people just keep inviting me to where you are to be in conversation and community with, you know, 
wherever you are in the world, really, I get invitations to so many places where people are ready to have this conversation. And as I come up, um, I'm looking for my next lecture to possibly talk to parents and how to really relate to their children and having this conversation. Mm -hmm. Oops, sorry. No worries. (laughs) Having this Mm -hmm. conversation. Um, So I'm just continuously working to build these syllabi of information to go out publicly and start having these conversations. We need you in schools. I know you guys, we seriously need to do like a summer. I mean, Wouldn't that be so much fun? Down. Let's build our, I want to build my own school too. That's a lot of work. And that sounds like a lot of tax <laughs> totally. paperwork. Good so luck with true. that. Oh, yeah, we'll do an underground. Everything's off pink. the grid. <laughs> college, college tour. Yeah, honestly. Oh my, yeah, I was thinking about that too. We should tell you, we should mm-hmm. talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk Dude, about that. That would be fucking, yeah. But then what would we say? <laughs> She's coming in. Uh, yeah, we're like, hello. <laughs> this is Rachel. Yeah, like, this is from Rachel. See ya. <laughs> Truly. We're like, oh. Oh, whatever. <laughs> All right. We love Make you. Make sure you connect with Rachel. We're looking forward to um, doing this work with you guys together. Lindsay and I are looking forward to mm. doing the work more yes. on our own, learning more, listening more, listening more, listening more. And we're really grateful for your patience and we're really grateful for being along with us on the journey as I fumble through my words and as I figure things out um, and as I get uncomfortable with you and as we get in this conversation together and we have amazing people like Rachel on that educate, inspire, Mm -hmm. enlighten, excite, and that really just, you know, do all the work for us. So thank you so much. We love you. Where can people find you? Instagram, Rachel.cargill. Instagram Mm -hmm. is where I do most of my work. What if Instagram just went away one day? Dude, I think about that a lot. I do too. Because honestly, so many people have businesses. Yeah, their whole, yeah. That's why I love going off. That's why I love being in person. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to the day when I'm us not on Instagram too. anymore, honestly. I'm looking forward to the day when I'm paying someone to do mine. Oh, yeah. Or not on fine. it. Yeah, I just want to be out. I just want to like teach. When we have our school with the pink walls, we'll just be there off Instagram. Off Instagram. Yeah. Well, I think about it. It's just a constant, you know, I woke up, I did all this stuff and then I'm here and it's like, there's a constant conversation that's yeah. like, you haven't done this. You haven't yeah, done this. For sure. You haven't done this. Anyways. Anyways. So you can find me on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> All that to say, see you yeah. on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel.cargill. My website, rachelcargill.com has a lot of my information, but right now Instagram is my major platform where I make all my announcements. And if you have a chance, well, my whole tour sold out right now, but when I start doing it next year, we're going to announce my spring tour dates. Right. Um, and we'll, I think on, we have like, Chicago and Boston, uh, Seattle, and a few other places that I've been getting lots of requests for. So be sure to follow me so you can get those announcements about when the spring tour tickets come out because I'm sure it will sell out um, just as much for as sure. the fall tour. Of course. Day. We'll share it in the Facebook group too, cool. so you guys can do that. And then um, in the show notes, we'll have everything, even including like the Harper's Bazaar article that you wrote and we referenced yeah. earlier. Thank All you. right. We love you guys. See love you later. See ya. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Such a good one. Rachel Cargill. Thank you so much for coming out, for meeting us, for all the work that you do. You are a visionary. Yes. And just in case you didn't catch it in the episode, her workshop, an anti-racism intensive workshop is called The Start. And you can go to rachelcargill.com and learn all about it. Can't wait to see the things in 2019. Can't wait to work more with her. Mm -hmm. 
And so excited to have this conversation with you guys and to um, get it started and just learn and grow with you. So Secret Almost 30 podcast Facebook group, we will be talking more about this and it is a safe space for conversations, for questions, um, for learning. So we are excited to continue the conversation and growth with you there. And you are podcastpro.com uh, is live and we are starting our program in about a month. So January 6th is six weeks. We will take you from idea to iTunes. We will hold your hand. It will be a supportive environment community and we're really excited to work with you. Yeah, there's just no way you can fail when you have us helping you, providing you all the tools and then you have people that are going to be part of your group and community that will help you succeed. So they will listen to your podcast. They will help you rate it. They will do all of the things with you. Um, if you didn't want to do a full course and just want to get information about how to start a podcast and brand it and make it grow, you can get the Podcast Pro. So the Podcast Pro is available on yourpodcastpro.com and it is a full resource and guide um, we have a beautiful listener and friend, Les, of The Balanced Berry, and she messaged us just the other day, and she said, I bought this a few weeks ago to help start my pod, and it was so, so, so helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm. So Les of The Balanced Berry loves it and used it, and she has The Balanced Black Girl podcast. She's awesome. Yeah, she's We've great. We've met her a few times. Love her little dimps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Little dimples. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We love you. Bye. Bye. We do love you.